Every sport has their big, juicy controversy. Boxing has the Mike Tyson ear bite. Cycling has Lance Armstrong. Baseball has its steroid era. Curling has... Broomgate. It's a story of broken relationships, houses divided, corporate rivalry, and a performance-enhancing broom. It was a year I'd like to forget. Broomgate. Available now. Greetings again, everybody. We're just rolling. We're rolling through the year. We're pumping out the shows. This is a special edition of Inside Curling. I want to acknowledge all our four great sponsors associated with Inside Curling uh, who bring you this special show today, Sports Interaction, Coyote Tractor, Goldline, and Nestle Boost. Uh, Here's what we're doing. In the house, we're going to bring you an interesting interview that Kevin did with Matt Dunstone and BJ Newfeld in December, another team that has been put together. The last year was the teams of not being put together, (laughs) the teams of tearing apart, but this looks like a good one. In the house, brought to you by Goldline. Goldline curling equipment can be found in pro shops and curling stores all around the world, plus their retail stores in Calgary, London, Scarborough, Mississauga, and they've got two stores in Ottawa. Goldline can be found at every Grand Slam of curling event and online anytime at goldlinecurling.com. Listen to the Inside Curling podcast ad-free on Amazon Music, included with Prime. Well, thanks, you guys, for taking the time. I know you're really uh, busy during events, but Matt, this year, uh, what a great start. Could you have possibly expected the success that's occurred so far? More so the consistency. I mean, some of the results, none of us are surprised by that. I, I think just the matter of, of how often we've rolled through events, um, put ourselves in position to win events, that's, that's a hard thing for four guys coming together, all from different teams, to try and do. So I would say that's maybe the part of it all. But, I mean, it's, it's been a great start so far. Okay, let's talk a little bit about the consistency you bring up. Okay, on the podcast, we call it uh, Team Ryan and the Three Tuckers. Do you think maybe there's something to that, being that all three of the last players on your team throw it pretty close to the same? Yeah, for sure. I mean, the the rock's coming from the angle a lot of the same time. And, and one of the things with BJ especially, I, I noticed right away, me and him come from a very, very similar angle. And, and obviously, he's he's throwing the two in front of me. So, I mean, it, it makes my life pretty easy. I, I get to see four in a row uh, coming at me all from the same angle. And, and we're still working on Ryan to get a corn broom into his hands and, and throw in the tuck slide. But he doesn't think his knees could do it. <laughs> Talking about the tuck delivery, it's kind of a unique Manitoba type thing. Not many players in the world outside of Manitoba's borders would use a tuck delivery. Maybe a little bit, BJ, about... Maybe the advantages of it. Why you you throw that way? Yeah, I mean, I I, I started throwing that way just because my my dad threw that way. My dad and Vic and watching them curl. I mean, I just kind of wanted to be like them. And then yeah, there's lots of other people doing it. I think at a young age, um, it was helpful to be able to throw the rock a little bit harder. You know, staying down low and kind of a big back slider leg kick, right? So you could throw the rock a little bit harder, get it down the ice as a as a little guy. So, and I always thought it looked cooler than the flat foot delivery. So. <laughs> So that's kind of the, the reason why why I uh, gravitated towards it. I'd like to talk a little bit about the front end, you first, BJ. Um, Colton Lott, now for people that 
love the game of curling and, and you know, we were, we always watch everything about it. Colton's not a new name to us, but in the big scheme of things outside of mixed doubles, it kind of is. And I'd like to talk you to talk about uh, what Colton brings to your team at second. And then of course, Ryan's no stranger to anyone. Yeah. Like Colton, I've known him for a while. We played uh, Matt's junior team in a provincial final. That was kind of my first introduction to Colton. I think it was like 2016, I think. You know, and I right away said, holy moly, this guy's going to be, this guy's going to be really good. So I've, I've known him for a while. He's going to do absolutely everything in his power to, you know, be the best second in the world. Uh, you can already see it. You know, his work ethic is, is really strong. He's doing everything that we're asking of him to do um, as far as a preparation standpoint. And he's just super, super talented. He just has that natural ability to make big shots at the right time to turn ends, you know, around for us, you know, defensive ends into offensive ends. And so he's just a weapon out there. Um, and yeah, I mean, it's, it's not going to be too long before the, everybody else knows who he is, that's for sure. And then Ryan, you know, I've played against him for a long time. So I kind of had an idea of, you know, what he was going to be like as a teammate. And he brings the same type of work ethic and drive and determination. Intense. He brings some intensity to our team that, you know, I think is super important. And uh, he just really fit in you know, really well. And they both, you know, know their roles on the team um, and they take a lot of pride in, in fulfilling those roles. And it really helps, you know, Matt and I focus on our roles at the back end and, and you know, they're a great support for us. Well, I'd like to, first of all, with, with Ryan Harn, arguably the strongest guy in curling, <laughs> it wouldn't be, if he, it'd be 1A and 1B if he's not the strongest. For, for his sweeping though, when you go to shoot, you've got him on one side and Colton on the other. Colton, not as big a fellow. Does that adjust any of your strategic calling as far as the strength of the sweeper on a certain side? No, definitely not. Um, it, it hasn't to this point. Obviously, with, with Ryan on, on our outturn side, it's tough to miss low uh, with him in there. But <laughs> at the end of the day, it comes down to right weight, technical perfection. That's been our focus right now. I mean, I think you can kind of play yourself into a hole if you're trying to find certain turns, certain completely different way of playing the game on the ice. Super situational for sure, but we certainly don't go out of our way to try and be an outturn team, I guess, if, if you want, be, exactly, sure. if you want to put it that way. You guys are sitting at uh, 183 points year-to-date, only second to Nicodine as far as the year-to-date for points in the, in the world. You're currently ranked number five, but this year you're just behind uh, Team Adin. Uh You're living in Kamloops, BJ and Colton are in Winnipeg, and Ryan's in the Sioux, Sioux St. Marie. A year that strong with people across Canada, how do you possibly make that work from a practice, get together, team chemistry, team dynamics? Obviously it's worked. How? A lot of trust in one another. We were upfront and open about our training, our practice regimen, everything that we needed to do to be, to be great. And, and, and there was trust in each and every one of us uh, that, that we we're going to do that. And, and we all know full well that each guy is doing what they need to do to be ready for events. That to me ultimately is what it what it comes down to is, is trust in one another and we totally have that. So how often would the team get together um, outside of events? You know, obviously where you travel together, but for practice. Yeah, we've gotten together a handful of times. Um, you know, before the year started in Oak Tokes, we got together for for a bit of training before the Slam in North Bay. We got together in the Sioux, got some training in there. Uh, Matt was just in Winnipeg. We had some time to throw rocks together. Um, you know, I've thrown with Colton, just Colton and myself a few times. So, I mean, it, it's important to obviously get together and, and revisit where we're all at at a delivery standpoint. And I mean, that'll be a challenge that, you know, we'll have to deal with 
you know, over this next four years, finding that right mix of how many times we, we have to get together to feel comfortable that we're all where, where we want to be delivery wise. And then like Matt said, I mean, the accountability from everybody on the team, I think is quite strong. And I think individually, we're going to be able to, you know, work on the majority of the stuff we need to work on individually. And then, you know, when we do get together, you know, we got to be efficient and not waste any time when we, when we do get together to, to make this all work. When it came to BGN, when you got together to start this team, this new team together, did you set up some goals? Do you do that as a team, set up monthly or quarterly or yearly goals for the team? I think that, you know, hard goal setting isn't something that we've really talked a lot about. I mean, I think we see ourselves as, a, as an elite team uh, in Canada and in the world. And, and I think our goal right now that most definitely is to win the Briar and, and, and win the Worlds. You know, that is our goal right now. And, you know, that is the, the focus and, and everything that we're playing in and, and preparing for. We have that goal in mind. That's, that's for sure. Would, at the start of the year, would your expectations for this team have changed because of the last three months and winning? What have you won? You've won two events. You've got to the final of three others. Uh, semis of two. It's crazy. Played 46 games this year and only lost uh, 12. Could your expectations maybe have changed over the last three months? No, I don't think so. It's all a building process. I mean, whether it came this year as early as it did or whether it came in year two or three, like we're, we're building towards something quite bigger than what happens in the first year, two, three of the cycle. I mean, ultimately, when this team's put together, we're in four years from now, we hope to hold the gold medal in, in Italy in 2026. That's been the goal from day one. Obviously, the success early is, is great. It gives the team a lot of confidence. But, you know, even if, if things hadn't gone, you know, great early on, at the end of the day, we, we've been building towards four years from now. For a young guy like you, how important is it to have a veteran uh, at the third position? Oh, it's awesome. I mean, BJ's been phenomenal caddy to me. The shot making speaks for itself. And just to kind of have some calming influences in, in bigger moments. And I mean, we've played semis, finals, you name it, right? And that's old old hat for, for a guy like him, right? And and Ryan as well. I mean, just having those guys um, that have been there, done that. And in every moment, in every game, nothing phases them. I mean, it totally rubs off on, on me. And, and I think I can speak for Colton as well. I mean, it just every, everything is very calm um, and, and super easy to, to go to battle with these guys. Your thoughts on uh, on the young guy being the skip and uh, and being the sheriff of this crew? Yeah, I mean, I've, <laughs> I mean, similar to how I was talking about Colton, I mean, I kind of had the same thought about Matt. You know, playing in that provincial final, you kind of know when a guy has it um, and has the capability of being, you know, an elite elite skip or you know maybe one of the best skips in the world. I've you know kept tabs on him for sure as a guy that you know. I'd maybe like to play with that guy at some point. He's got all the shots. His passion for the game is is second to none. You know, and then one thing I've learned this year, you know, his professionalism is outstanding. You know, it's exceeded my expectations. I didn't really know that side of him, watching him from an outsider, but the the professionalism is such an important piece to this game. And and when your skip is, you know, a total pro, I mean, it sure it sets a really good example for the rest of us that if he's going to be doing these things, you know, we have to follow and be just as professional as he is. I've just been super, super impressed with, with Matt. I think it's just showing, it's just our team dynamic has been really, really good. You know, we haven't, you know, this year we've had some really good success, but we've lost a couple stinkers and, and we've had some, you know, we've had to battle in a lot of games and it's, uh, it's a lot of fun 
you know, going to battle with these guys, knowing that we're all really supporting each other throughout the game, you know, and I, and I find that, you know, we've been a team that's been able to come back and, you know, we've, we've stolen a couple games. I think I went like, I don't think I stole a game to win in like eight years, which is nuts. Like, I don't think Kevin, when playing with Kevin, I only we stole one game, you know, and we've already won two and, you know, we could easily stole to win this last game here. So it's just the, the support, the professionalism, those two assets have helped us get the results that we've gotten so far and, and keep us really, really hungry to keep working for each other and, and, and continue to, to grow as a team. One of the big, uh, I guess, the big uh, ways of winning these days is you draw the button. How much time do you spend on paths and draw the button to make sure you have the hammer as much as possible? Yeah, a fair bit. I think, I mean, almost every team practice, it at least gets talked about. First event of the year, draw to the button did not go very well at all. You know, just like, ooh, we got this is something we got to look at. Because, I mean, if you can get to the point where you're winning 60-40, even 70-30, like if that's that's a, such a huge advantage, right? So, I mean, after that first or second event, I can't remember when it was, uh, we, we buckled down and, and looked at the whole process of it, went out and executed it. And then that very first slam, I think, in all four games, we were combined like half an inch or something goofy like that. So um, we've got a good feel for it now. There's always things you can look at to try and layer on and, and make stuff improve. It's, it's been it's been solid as, as a whole, and, and obviously it's it's something that's quite big in our game. When, when it comes to practicing that, I, I just, for the young people that are listening to us, um, in your 10 minutes or nine minutes that you have to practice or the two up and two back, depending on what event you're in, um, is there something that you're really... I guess, concerning yourself with so that you're ready to make that draw? I think the biggest thing is just not handcuffing yourself to one path in the sheet. Just making sure you have an inside line that's had a couple rocks thrown down, a couple outside lines, and then the line, like kind of miss by a rock and a half one way and overcurl the button, miss wide of the button one way, because you, you, then you have, you know, maybe a two-foot, three-foot area that you can actually throw on in the sheet. Because if you handcuff yourself and, and you're just throwing in the same spot, same spot, and you're just missing the pin by this much, this much, this much every time, and then you're throwing second, and you have to pin it to get hammer, right? And you haven't thrown a rock down that path, then it's just a guess. So the main thing would be just not handcuffing yourself to this one rock-sized path the entire way down the sheet. Love to hear your opinion on the way the slams do the draw to the button. With the one draw, the other team takes the other draw. But at the world level, it's different, where it's two draws by each team. Your thoughts on, on, on that? I mean, as long as it's one team on each side, one on the other, I, then, I, then I think it's pretty even across the board. We've had it where first practice, they got to do both sides, right? And I, I think that's quite a big disadvantage um, just from a feel standpoint. I know the stats overall probably say it's pretty close to even in and around, but I think if you're going to throw two, keep it on the same side or, or your ice has got to be pretty darn good because just from a feel standpoint, it's, it's quite difficult to work in two sheets of ice in the seven to nine minutes that you do get. Right. You're talking about at the world, Worlds and those events where you draw on both sides, in turn, out turn, yeah. you had to keen the whole thing up and you tried to do it, but you can only do it to a certain degree. Yeah. Then the next team goes out, goes, ha ha, it's all nice and keen for me. Yeah. And, yeah. and another advantage you get too is, is when you're on the one side of the sheet, you can actually throw some stuff to the wings, just kind of work in some hack waders on that side of the sheet too, because you have the time to just try different shots and really map out that side of the sheet. Whereas when you're trying to get two rocks to the button on either side, like you're spending nine minutes one way or like there's only one thing you're doing and that's just peppering the button as much as you can. That's a great point. So what you're saying, Matt, is that 
in the case of the a world's type thing where there's two, you're going to spend no time from the edge of four, edge of four. There won't be any rocks go down there. Because there's no- Maybe one for the person who's not throwing the draw to the button, and that, that would be it. But again, throwing those hits, do you get to match the stones? Because th- that person's not going to throw very much either, right? They're going to get two up and two back, and they're going to be sweeping the rest of the way too. So it's like, should we be matching their stones, making sure they're in a good place? So it's a little tricky for sure. That's exactly what I wanted to ask you about, BJ, is the importance of of being able to get an idea of matching the stones, especially the final four rocks, thirds and skips. Yeah, for sure. It's an art, you know, something you're always mindful of it, um, trying to really hone in on, you know, how you're throwing the rock and, and what the rock is telling you. And, and a lot of the times just believing what the rock is telling you. I mean, sometimes, you know, guys can maybe blame themselves. They didn't throw it good. And, and, but in reality, you know, the stone might be dictating, you know, those misses. So it's an art. I think it's something the, the older you get, I think the better you get at, at figuring out rocks. It, it's a massive, massive asset. Uh, something that I know on my last team, we took a lot of pride in, you know, with John, you played with him quite a bit. So, you know, and I think he probably learned a lot of rock matching from yourself. We always thought it was an asset. John was very, very good at picking out stones and figuring them out and being really confident in that, you know, not second guessing that, Hey, yeah, I think this rock is, or I know this rock curls half a rock more. Um, and then going with that for the rest of the game, you know, as soon as you have any indecision or indecisiveness, you know, and what the rocks are doing, you're, 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 you're in tough. So it's an art. It's something that our team, I think we're, I think we're okay at it so far, but it's definitely on the docket for something that, you know, we want to be, you know, one of the, one of the best in the world at, you know, figuring out our stones. You made a great comment here a minute ago, and then we'll let you guys go. But um, with Ryan on the one side, it's really hard to miss one low. (laughs) (laughs) We get a lot of messages to inside curling in regards to, there's no such thing as carving. It doesn't really Mm -hmm. work. There's none of that stuff. From behind your eyes, what you see um, as far as carving, what difference does it really make with Colton or with, with Ryan? Yeah, I think, um, I mean, there's a lot of testing. I think that still needs to be done with it, for sure. I think you find your biggest advantage kind of when the rock is either just before its break point, right into its break point. That's when I see it as as most effective, for sure. I I think it's very surface-dependent if you can change a rock's break point. Totally depends on, on the sheet you're playing on, in my opinion. In most surfaces, you can actually change the break point as a whole. Um, but you know, you know full well when a surface has given you that opportunity to do so. Okay, there you have it. Uh, good job, Kev. Uh, what do you think, Kevin? Well, you know, there's a couple of really good comments talking about how uh, how the team comes from three different cities. I think that's a big deal. Kamloops and Winnipeg and the Sioux mm-hmm. and having being able to make that work. And it has worked, Jim. It's been working really, really well. The other one that I think is something that I was really glad we talked about, and that's the, the draw of the button. The draw of the button has become so important in the game of curling. And the way it's done at, at the world level with you have it, having to draw one rock on each side and then it's total distance. The problem with that is the first team that practices, you've got to break down the pebble 
and you just really can't do it on both sides. So it's an incredible disadvantage. And to have BJ say that he didn't care if it was one draw or two draws, as long as your draws were on the same side of the sheet. So you could keen up one side, figure it out, right. play your draws, you'd be somewhat close. And then the next team has to keen up their side, the other side. And that way, it's not such a big advantage if you practice first or second. That's a really good comment. I'm glad we talked about it because that's something that a lot of the top players have been thinking about for a long time, but yet it still exists today where it's such a disadvantage if you practice first at a world event because you just don't have enough time to crack the pebble on both sides. Oh, wow. Well, and that's, I'm glad BJ <laughs> brought it up. That's a wonderful discussion. Yeah, it is. Uh, Warren, what do you think? Again, it needs to be looked into much deeper. I was thinking a lot about that since I listened as well as to, anyway, this is some maybe stuff that the new players group can tackle, so many of these things. Uh, I found two three things uh, very kind of interesting. We called them Ryan and the Three Tuckers, so I thought it was good that Kevin asked PJ, okay, how'd you become a Tucker? And his answer was classic. He said, well, that was my dad. And of course, Kevin and I both know his dad. Kevin played against his dad, Chris Newfelt with Vic Peters. And uh, and he also said, well, and when I was a kid, it was cooler way to throw than with a flat foot. So it looked cool, he thought. Anyway, that's how he became a Tucker. So I'm sure we'll continue some of that discussion. The other thought I thought was uh, really good from Dunstan was the point at the end again about carving. And this is something that kind of maybe slipped by, but I found it interesting because these are concepts uh, that we kind of figured out a long time ago with corn brooms as to the same application of when you begin to carve or go to the opposite side and sweep like hell is just as the rock is losing momentum or when it starts to make its move. And what it requires, again, something's never talked about, is the sweepers have to really know that sheet of ice. And they've got to know how their thrower is releasing the rock so they know when that break is going to happen as the rock is going down the ice. So it's a part of that whole thing that we've never talked about is the necessity for the sweepers to know exactly how the thrower has released the rock and at what point the rock is going to start to make its move when it comes to uh, part of the carving aspect anyway. Very good, boys. The weekly show, by the way, tune in. we got Ted Wyman on who's going to give us a wrap-up of the year. If you know curling at all, you know Ted. He writes for Post Media and he's always got lots to say. We've had him on before. Big thank you to all our sponsors. Uh, Sports Interaction, Coyote Tractor, Goldline, Nestle Boost for bringing you this special edition of Inside Curling. A reminder, send us an email, insidecurling at gmail.com, and uh, check out our Facebook group and the page. And thanks a lot to Rod Paulson uh, from In-House Strategies who handles all of that for us. So on behalf of everybody at Inside Curling, all the guys with Sportsnet, on behalf of my two little tuckers, (laughs) I've always wanted to say that. Warren, you little tucker. Kevin, you little tucker. Happy New Year to everybody. Thanks a lot, Kev. Thanks a lot, Warren. We'll talk to you next time on Inside Curly. Thanks, Jimmy. Thanks, Jim. Third tucker. (laughs) I'm the biggest tucker of them all. (laughs) 